0: Biggest games, oh my the God. biggest events, wow. the, crowd is on that feet. the biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it would be the last job in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast.
1: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. I'm Rachel Goo and I'm hosting the show today. Obviously,
2: and what is that? <laughs> I was
1: gonna say I was gonna introduce you, but then. I went on a tangent and decided to talk about myself because I like talking about myself. Anyway, Jacob's sitting next to me on the desk today, and Tarika is behind the glass, our lovely producer. Tarika, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great, and she wants to talk about herself because
1: it's her birthday! Oh my god, thank you. Um, It's actually a day after my birthday, but yes.
2: (laughs) Perfect. Thank you, Tarika. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah, 24 now, so...
2: Rachel informed me yesterday that she is not 21 for the fourth time in her life, which, you know, is a... Oh, my
1: God. That joke doesn't work until you're, like, 30 years old.
2: You accept who you are as a person, Rachel. And not
1: who I want to be, or not the age I want to be, which is
0: 22. You accept it because you're not 30. Just wait, honey. Oh, my God, Tariqa. You make it sound so depressing. It's not that bad, but you don't get to be cool in the esports world when you're, like, 32.
2: Not entirely true, it's not Tarika. That bad. What it's a way not entirely to true. It? <laughs> I know some. I know some cool people who are are older in esports. You know, like I know some people who are thirty five and uh, pretty pretty hip in esports. So
1: you know, like there's probably a graph of like the average age of people in esports. Funny thing is, we're actually going to be do- doing a story soon relating to that, but. The average age in esports, it must be, like, a regular line, and then the outlier of, like, the person, you know, who's 35 is, like, up there.
2: We should do a... Really uh, high up. We should do a scatter No, uh, we should do a scatter plot of people, like, prominent people in esports, and where, like, they're not connected in a line. Because I actually think, like, honestly, I, I would think it's almost, like, um, it goes, like, it goes up and then down. Like, I think the average age of people in esports are, like, 19, 20, 21, 22, mm-hmm. and then it starts to dip a little. I don't think it would be like this where like 15 like, you know, slanted inversely where like 15, 16, 17 are the the most populated. I definitely think it's in the middle.
1: Yes, it would look something like that. Let's dive into the podcast, though, because we have tons (laughs) to talk about. And let's talk about franchising for a second, because honestly, it's still a pretty hot button issue right now. By franchising, I'm talking specifically about franchising in the LCS or League of Legends, which is going to happen in um, their Chinese region this summer. And for those of you who might not know, franchising basically means that there is more job security for these players. There are, they can't get relegated, um, into an amateur league, which is kind of a huge relief if you think about it. Cause as a pro player, every split is basically you either succeed or you might have your demise and have your career end. So, Tariqa, um, as someone with a pretty big sports background, what do you think about this new franchising phenomenon in esports?
0: So I'll be the first to admit that the entire world of esports is very new to me. So I am very inquisitive, and I'm always looking for new information on where I can learn more about it. And from what I've been reading, it seems to me that franchising could actually grow the sport. I mean, I know that you guys have said previously that Esports is still fairly new in, in most regards. And I think that it seems like franchising can help grow that. It actually, um, last week, Jacob was talking about how the Challenger Series is like that minor league kind of thing. And it really seems to me like if they were to, to start franchising more, it could actually evolve more into that because you'd you'd have your top professional level where you've got you know sponsorships and you've got more financial backing, and you would get an opportunity to use that series to help develop players, and and it actually would probably give fans a little bit uh, of a bigger pool to watch players in, and we give players a bigger opportunity to get better and move up higher, and I think franchising can be the start of that.
2: Yes, uh, I think the the one concern is that if the LCS franchises in both regions and this is something that's been very voiced especially in public settings such as Twitter and Reddit is that um a lot of a lot of people are concerned that mediocrity will become acceptable um that some of these LCS teams will get complacent with being you know bad but never going to lose their spot
1: like the Browns of esports basically right but
2: i mean i would comparatively I would say franchises go through that over time. Like you look at certain franchise, like you look at things like the Golden State Warriors. They were not; they were pretty irrelevant like a decade ago, and now that they are like the hottest team in basketball, right? And now all
1: of these Golden State Warriors fans are coming out of the woodworks, like they were OG fans, all right. Anyway, go (laughs) on. Anyway,
2: yes, Uh, but I mean, then you look at franchises like the Knicks and the Lakers, who like you know they've been at the top of the mountain before. And they are prolific and super notable, you know, arguably the the two most notable over time franchises in, in the NBA. And now they, they kind of go through this rough spot where, like, you know, the Knicks are kind of okay with being mediocre. Not all of them, but certain people in that organization are. And the Lakers are trying to rebuild, but they're still, like, not a good team, right? And they had been. So I think it's I think it's a, a sway like an ebb and flow, right? Like I think you have your moments where you're like at the top of the peak, and you have your moments where you're garbage. And like I don't think, and I definitely think, if franchising would have happened a year ago, I would have been more concerned. I think the batch of owners that are in the LCS right now, pending whoever gets Fanatic Academy and Misfits Academy, I think the majority of them are pretty competitive and want to win because like. When it franchises, the stakes having an LCS spot. While it is better longevity-wise for you to have a sponsor that doesn't fear relegation, it also means if you're not the winning team, you don't get as much money. So, like you obviously want your team to win, so you get higher sponsorship pays and things like that. Like you, you know, a good example is recently the Cavaliers sold their their or sold their jersey spot on the chest to Goodyear for the winged foot, right? And and Darren Ravel tweeted that the only person the only team that he expects to sell higher for is Golden State Warriors. And that's because they're so good. Like that's because they're so public facing and, and obviously bandwagoning is a big part of that. So mm-hmm. I think that um I think the the concern for mediocrity is a little bit over, uh, overblown. Yeah, it's overblown. Um because I think that it will become to the point where like You make the most money if you're the best team. Well,
1: let me play devil's advocate for a second because I don't think that's necessarily my biggest concern. My biggest concern is actually what becomes of the secondary league now that we have franchise teams in the LCS. So basically this gives teams in the professional league, the LCS or the LPL or whatever, incentive to basically pluck these really talented players from these lower tier teams and... That essentially prevents them from ever getting into the league, which is kind of a concern of mine because you can just treat the secondary league as a farm for talent, which is I don't think if you're looking at um, the LCS from a long term standpoint, it's very healthy for the scene in general. Because you don't ever see that kind of stuff with the NBA. Like, they don't have a secondary league where they just farm players in the D League and, like, take them to a pro team. So,
2: they do, but there are contracts and there are poaching rules, right? Like, you can't just, in in the NBA or in in baseball and AAA baseball, right? In the MLB and AAA baseball, you can't, like, there is an affiliation, first of all. Every team has its own minor league team. And then secondly, secondly, they are signed and there are There are rules for, like, tampering and torturous interference. You can't just go up to a challenger player like you can in League of Legends and go, hey, I want you on my team. The player gets all excited because he's going to be in an LCS team, and he breaks his contract for this other team. Like, that doesn't exist in traditional sports. So things that need to change, if that's the case. Uh, I'm actually all for challenger going away if collegiate becomes challenger. Uh, Like, if collegiate esports actually fulfills its role as, like, being the intermediate into the LCS. I don't think that will happen immediately. I think that might be something that happens over time. But if Challenger sticks, you know, assuming Challenger Series stays around after the franchising, I think that it it becomes a secondary league all for, like, every single team in the LCS has a second team, right? Just like Echo Fox has now with Delta Fox and Counter Logic Gaming have with CLG Black, you know, that kind of thing. Um and those players are contracted to that org. So you're not just signing them to win. You're not signing them to win and make money, right, by selling your spot for a million dollars. You are signing them to develop the talent for your team in the future.
0: Why can't Challenger still be around to be that developmental place versus having to get rid of it in order to make the college series the developmental place? Like, is it not an opportunity to say, okay, you've done, you know, this well in college. We want to bring you aboard to this particular team, but we're going to have you play in the Challenger series to hone in on your skills a little bit?
2: I think it's a relevancy thing, um, because a lot of these players forego their education to be on the challenger series or lcs teams so i think that collegiate esports just becomes completely like it is kind of irrelevant in that sense right now it's only relevant to certain people and that is mostly collegiate students basically Uh, if you're good
1: enough to be a collegiate athlete then you're good enough to be in challenger and there's just no incentive of being a collegiate athlete because you're not making as much as much money as you would on a challenger team even
2: even even certain schools like the riot, like the Big Ten network schools, which is the most publicized in um, collegiate esports for League of Legends, um, e- even those players are only getting five thousand dollars in scholarship money each for t- for participating. And like, even if that's the case, the incentive is like, would you rather have five thousand dollars in scholarship money or ten thousand dollars a month in challenger money or LCS money? Right? Like, there is no incentive to be in collegiate esports right now for these players that are good enough. Also, and, and the people that end up going to to play on collegiate esports teams are usually not good enough to be in Challenger level.
1: Also, for the future of collegiate esports, it's looking more and more like it's going to end up like the NCAA, which is like the basically they, they're going to profit from these player images once these players get big enough, but I highly doubt that the players will get any form of compensation besides like a scholarship or something.
2: And it has to be a school-issued scholarship too. It cannot be the yeah. Riot Games scholarship where... Uh, Riot is awarding the scholarship, which is currently happening with the Big Ten schools. Um, so, yeah, and that's, if the NCAA is involved, that goes away and the scholarship has to be. Directly from the schools, which is a big finance financial jump for a lot of these schools.
0: I hope that made sense, Tarika. It kind of does. I'm just thinking from the perspective of kind of like in the in the in the majors where there's like a farm system. You know what I mean? And it's like if you've been drafted to the Yankees, then you know you may not be playing in the majors directly. You've just simply been drafted to our farm system. And then if a spot becomes available, or if you have proven yourself to be that kind of player that we need to move you up or miss say someone, you know, who's on the professional level isn't playing to their best ability and we feel like we need to make some changes then this is where we look to bring in new players so it kind of still puts value on the college game and and makes challenger a little bit more of a step up versus having them on an equal playing field if that makes any
2: sense yeah i mean look at it from the player perspective if you're an 18 year old kid you're coming out of of high school or even in the case like we talked about last week there are certain players that have dropped out of high school for this Uh, imagine you're in that position right and You've got – you can either go to – because if you're a good enough player to play in Challenger or or in LCS, you will – every single League of Legends university that has scholarships will offer you money because you are good. Um, So look at it this way. If you are the player and you have the opportunity to either go to school, you have to do the schoolwork, you only get your scholarship paid for, not anything else, or you can move to Los Angeles, California – be you know be in this hip area like hip and, and hot area where everyone always wants to be and you're making ten grand a month. That's it. Yeah, I mean Very like that's 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 the thing. Like you have to look at it from that perspective, and that's why collegiate esports is like that's why the step down from the step down from LCS like LCS to Challenger is huge, and the step down from Challenger to collegiate is massive. Like there is a huge skill difference, and so that's why collegiate esports does not really get. Um, get the viewers, but also the interest that, that Challenger or even LCS does.
1: I want to talk about coaches for a second, because um, we had Coach of the Split awards go out a couple of weeks ago. We had a and... coach
2: on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, Mr. LocoDoco. But I want to talk about Coach of the Split, because this is not an award you see in traditional sports, mainly because coaches in general, their contributions are invisible. You don't, they're not obvious in front of you. And It's a really prevalent thing in esports, especially in League of Legends. And so do we really need a coach of a split award?
2: I would rather have coach of the season award, honestly.
1: What's the difference between a split and a season? Two splits. So throughout the whole year?
2: Yeah. So like coach of the year award. That's a thing in traditional sports. I think that's like fair.
1: I just think that with the way, how do you evaluate who deserves to be the coach of the split? You know, you don't understand or see the inner workings of a team unless you're inside of it. So there's that huge wall in between what you know and what you think you know.
2: Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good point. You don't um, you don't have the access to like the sideline like you do, or the ball pit and like you do in um, traditional sports, right? Like you know, when I was you mic them up. Yeah, when you mic them up or when you're, like, the reporter. I was listening to Doris Burke on the Low Post yesterday, and I was hearing her talk about, like, being near Pop while he talks in this, like, really pivotal moment for the Spurs after the Kawhi injury. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, that is something we don't have access to, uh, especially because these homes are closed off, like the team houses are. But even backstage, like, it's closed off. So the only people that could have really evaluate that are Riot people, and I don't necessarily trust riot people to make that decision entirely
1: yeah and the votes go everyone votes for coach of the
0: split
2: yeah so it's a it's it's a mix of rioters commentators and media that's that's the way it happens so um and that's how all the awards happen um so it and it's also players as well so
0: tarika i'd like to get your thoughts on this really quick Briefly for me, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think that it's necessary simply because it's, it, to me, it just seems like you're awarding, um, something to a coach for a half of a job. And and what I mean by that is if there's two splits in an entire season, then it's like we're giving you an award for completing half of it. Whereas I think a coach of the year, as Jacob suggests, would make more sense because it's like, how have you impacted and how have you changed or how have you made adjustments to your team between the first, the summer split and the spring split, if that makes any sense.
1: Right. And actually what you were mentioning before, how we lack that mic'd up value um, that we see in the NBA. What we do have in return are these Amazing reality shows on YouTube posted by the teams that show all the intricate and um sometimes very toxic relationships between the players and coaches.
2: And you don't um, have a coach either. Like there are no coaches like Greg Popovich in this league. I and, wish there was there, a Pop
1: in our league.
2: There there are definitely people that have tried to be like that uh and tried to be older and wise but they don't know anything about League of Legends and oh my God. uh and therefore like they're kind of useless. So <laughs> And that's partially because the game's not been around long and it also doesn't attract, as we were saying earlier in the show, older people, right? So um it's really hard because like where some of the best coaches in this game from an analytical standpoint have absolutely no maturity and no leadership.
1: It's interesting you mentioned that because this is... I feel like this is an issue with Western culture in general, where players feel like coaches have to earn their respect before they give them respect. And that's just not something you see in South Korea. Like, if you don't respect someone older than you, you can consider yourself kicked off the team. I mean, that I feel like that's exactly what happened with Piglet when he left SKT. There's something to be said about that, what do they call it, the hyung and like sang relationship which is like an older brother and younger brother relationship where it where the older person commands respect
2: there's also it's also uh culture in in traditional sports as a comparison and not to go back to it all the time but there is a culture in traditional sports that from the earliest age like from little league football you learn in pee wee football and pee wee baseball you learn respect for these people who are older and who are adults right like that's part of the sport so by the time you're a you're playing peewee baseball and you get up to the MLB, you've had like a billion coaches and you've been forced to respect every single one of them. Esports players don't have that luxury. And some of them have come from like bad homes and things like that where like they are immature but also don't understand how to cope with their own issues. So like they lash out at other people and that's why you see things like Breaking Point and these other documentaries where you have a 18-year-old player yelling at a 22-year-old coach. Like it doesn't really... Doesn't really make a lot of sense. I'm just cracking you know? up
1: because I know that just brings up so many vivid scenes. Um, Torica, you really need to watch these reality shows
0: because they're really something. I'm always down for a good drama.
2: There's a there's always a good meme in there too. You can like you can always <laughs> find the one thing that's just like. <laughs> there's i it i know a few i show. know a few of them yeah and you just like you like you know a year later you're reading a reddit thread on slash league of legends and somebody just brings it up when some, that person's name comes up you just like yep it's like yep. the real yep. housewives
1: that? of esports the real House housewives <laughs> yes exactly more
2: drama than the kardashians
1: all right well we're going to take a short break right now but when we come back we're going to talk more about MSI stay tuned we're back with the ESPN esports podcast um Let's talk a little bit more about coaching and then we can move on to MSI because I have a bunch of questions about SKT. obviously. Um, so, hypothetically speaking, Jacob, if you were a coach, and we all know you're very young, uh, 19 years old, right?
2: 20 now, but yes. yes. Oh,
1: wow. Old soul. Completely different.
2: Uh, I'm hitting, hitting my quarter life crisis over here. But. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. Shut up. <laughs> um, if you were a coach and let's say you had... You had a League of Legends team and one player of the five was hard to deal with or maybe didn't respect you the way that you expected him to react. What would you do in that situation?
2: It's a really good question. I feel like there's a moment, and I've seen this on on traditional sports teams I've been on growing up playing baseball, football, uh, and wrestling, um, where there is always that one person that kicks up at the coach once or twice, and y- you kind of have to, in front of everyone, put that person, like, back in their place, as nice as you can as someone who is older. I actually think that might be a little bit easier in esports, because there isn't a huge age gap. Um, you know, it's hard when you're a, a 40-year-old adult, and you're yelling down at a 15-year-old kid, but... Um, Certainly happened to me before. I've I've been in the the kids' position on that one, uh, and I I think you have to demand respect, right? So I think if somebody was like talking back during a team discussion when it was not their turn, or or like if they were like yelling yelling at me or getting fed up with me, like I'd probably just snap back at them and just like in front of everyone, like not embarrass them, but certainly kind of put them back in their place because that's a big part of being a coach is being the voice that leads the conversation, especially in team meetings and things like that i do think uh just on a slight tangent um i think that a big part of esports is uh that managers need to be a little bit older um a lot of these managers are younger but i've met some of the managers that have been recently been hired into the league that are older and i think that it's very important for it even if the coach is young i think the manager has to be older because the manager is like Almost like the the house mom. Please
1: elaborate more on this because I feel like the manager role on these teams, it's just, it's so mysterious and we really don't see them often besides them kind of like lurking around in the background of these reality shows. I mean,
2: obviously the big part of it is logistics, right? Like I've met managers who are like, like, oh, my players have to be here at this time. Like, that means I have to go around and wake everyone up and, like, make sure they get ready and make sure they can go play their match, make sure they get on the bus. Oh, so like, they
1: assume more of, like, a parental role alongside, yeah, 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 like, professional yeah. duties. So
2: okay. it so it, it's, like, you got to you gotta make sure that, like, they're doing everything. They're not, like, a basketball GM or, like, a football GM where they're making, like, franchise decisions. They're very much, like, a, a team mom where I, like...
1: They cook. They clean. Not all of them housework. cook. A lot.
2: There are there are a lot of uh, teams now that have specific cooks, and that's just like the duty that they, they are. There are teams that hire both men and women uh, that I've met in the the industry that cook, clean, etc. Um, notably, uh, one of them, his name is Jarvis, and he uh, works for Envious, and he used to work for Renegades uh, back when they were in the league, and was brought over to Envious, um, and heard. Great things about his food and he's invited me to you know if i'm in la to come by the envy house but um (laughs) but then they also have a separate manager um who is from korea his name's toby um and he's a little bit older um so
1: does toby he doesn't manage any of the roster decisions that's mainly the coach's job correct
2: he he puts in a little bit of input right like um but you're saying
1: every manager is a little different across each team yeah it
2: it depends on a case-by-case basis um I mean the the competitive manager of an Immortals, uh, Nick Fan. Him and I were recently having a conversation after they announced their new changes with uh, Anda uh, and Stunt, um, and he was you know was telling me that he believes in them a lot, and he was like a very big advocate for bringing them into the team. And he's like he's a, even a, he is like a GM in my opinion. He's he's more of a general manager, whereas he does a lot of things for Immortals rather than where they have like Dodo, who is like a, a team manager, like who is more ah, right. specific to league. So, um, but the you know the league managers, a lot of it's logistical um and you know a lot of it's logistical and but they they do have some input as well, like uh toby toby and um Toby and Dylan uh at envious had a lot of input onto their their team decisions and and Hastro was telling me that they did one on ones with every single person that would live in the house, aside from Jarvis, who's back here, but like with Toby, with Dylan, who's their coach, and then all of their players. So, all right. Yeah.
0: So
1: going back to the coaching thing for just one second, because I have one last question about it. All right. So when you're voting for something like this, I I actually think these kind of votes are really important, and that you should really put aside all your biases and do your best, because this is this is the kind of stuff that you're going to look back on in history and be like, oh, hey, this was like an important decision at the time, and. Basically, I was wondering, for decisions like voting for MVP in the NBA, um, Tarika, maybe you can give me some insight on this. When we're choosing between, I feel like the matchup this year was pretty much between Harden and Westbrook for the M- MVP contention. And when we're choosing between these two players, and almost everyone gets a vote, right? All the players get a vote and the
0: coach- coaches get a vote too, correct? So back in the day, it used to be where the players would vote for who the MVP is now, but actually they have changed quite a bit to where now it is the broadcasters and some sports writers who vote for the MVP and uh, starting in 2010, if I'm not mistaken, they allow the fans to have a vote in the MVP race as well. So players no longer get a say-so like they used to. No, fan votes are the worst. Oh, I don't I trust know, any of them. Terrible, but it's sort of a catch-22 in a way because obviously on one hand, who knows better than your peers on who you know, should be MVP and who's played the best and who's made the most with the least and that sort of thing. But at the same time, you also have to remember that not all players will have the best interests of uh, their peers at heart. And I think that's one of the reasons that they changed the way that the voting uh, takes place, because not everyone wanted to exercise their right to vote or voted fairly.
1: Right. And so would you say the MVP decisions over the past five years
0: have been accurate? Like, would those have been your MVP decisions? Um, Some MVP decisions I feel are biased. I mean, when you think about the NBA, for example, uh, LeBron James is a guy who you can name to be MVP every year. Um, Right. But at the same time, you, you have to think of more than just an individual player. You have to think of what that player does for their team. You have to think about the players that are surrounding them. So when I think of why Steph Curry was elected, uh, MVP, it makes sense. This year, when you think about James Harden and Russell Westbrook, sure, you know, there are some who say there should be co-MVPs, but when you think about, you know, the surroundings of Russell Westbrook, in comparison to the surroundings of James Harden, he practically did it all by himself. And it little things and little intangibles are things that help to make a player um, maybe a step or two above someone else in the MVP conversation. So when it comes to esports, as someone who isn't vastly familiar with how MVPs are chosen, I'll give you some insight.
1: Basically, um, if you're choosing an MVP of a team or if you're choosing the best player from each position – the players get a vote, the media get a vote and the analysts get a vote. So that's how it works for that. but for coaching it's I think it's a little different. um so you have uh, media get a vote and analysts get a vote for that for that
2: yeah so it, it's kind of balanced. Uh, it was actually a big controversy this year because some of the, you can't vote for your own teammates. so some of the people voted for their own teammates and basically wasted their vote where well, yeah. their vote could have very much impacted. Their vote very much could have impacted the outturn. So basically,
1: we're learning that this is like a universal phenomenon across like many sports and esports. Basically, what I wanted to take away from this was, do they take it seriously in the NBA or do they just vote for their friends? Um, Yeah, I guess we'll find out when we find out who the MVP is. Um, Basically, if it's not Westbrook, then we know it's rigged. Um, moving along our last dang Rachel I'm just saying it. Westbrook deserves to win MVP of the split
2: I think there are good arguments for, for both thank you
1: anyway MSI time we're moving into the MSI finals this weekend which is um, obviously a toss up because who knows who's going to win between sh- SKT and the others
2: your segue should have been who's going to be the MVP of MSI oh my god there you go
1: well I feel like that is
2: you should pay me for that one. Oh my
1: god so instead of bringing up the whole, oh, SKT is going to win MSI most likely again because they're basically like the the Patriots of eSports. Let's talk more about the narrative of SKT being like the biggest giant heading into finals this weekend. Korea is still supreme in League of Legends. There's no doubt about that. So I was wondering instead, do you think the narrative is worth pursuing if it's the same narrative every single year? Is it still fun to talk about Tom Brady being good? when it's already obvious every single year.
2: I think it's got to be mixed up a little bit. I think SKT this year is actually kind of more interesting because they took pretty big gambles with uh, Hooney and Peanut, um, both very young players. Uh, Hooney kind of has emotional, I wouldn't say emotional issues, but certainly uh, he's not been the, the best of teammates uh, before. Um, so I think, uh, yes, because they mixed it up. Um for the exact same reason that the Warriors are, are uh, an interesting talk because Kevin Durant uh, this season, even though they were consensus the best in, during the regular season last year, just all these basketball comparisons. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for the exact same reason, like they, I like how you're just a, trying to
1: gloss over the Tom Brady and Patriots thing. I know it still hurts, but
2: okay. Well, <laughs> um, I think for the exact for the reason that they took the gamble, yes, that there are certain times that it does feel esports storylines feel stale. Like, right now, it's really hard for me at a Street Fighter event when Punk just wins everything. Cause, like, I've interviewed him like three times now at this point. And it's like, do I really want to interview him a fourth? Like, that's just a little much. Like, you know, and so it is hard from a media uh, perspective. But I think, I think if SKT wins this and if SKT wins Worlds in China at the end of the year, then the storyline is they took a gamble on two very young players who. Uh, are very inexperienced in a mature team environment, and still through all of it, the two players were fine. And, you know, their Michael Jordan, Mr. Faker over there, has uh, carried the team once again to another championship. Well
1: said. I do think you make some good points with Peanut and Hooney. I think Peanut isn't as big of a risk just because... He's i agree kind of a i agree rock star but i mean he's still Cootie very young was definitely but yeah. someone who is really unexpected when
2: when i got the phone call about that at two in the morning uh because thank you korea when i got the phone call <laughs> though, that you, was a, that was a thing when we were like ready to hit the publish button on him resigning with the Mortals and then obviously he like changed his mind um when that happened i was very surprised um I think everybody kind of knew Duke and Bengi were going to leave, so they're going to have to do something, but I was not, and Smeb was not the answer, even though they have the money to do it. Um, I did not expect Huni, and it's worked out pretty okay. Right,
1: and I think that, I mean, I'm just asking because it's actually one of the questions I've got in my my direct messages the other day. I was just wondering because, honestly, I feel like everything is so contextual because you can have different stories about skt and everything will be about a different aspect of them and it's basically about how you perceive the team and its changes over time if that makes sense
2: yeah it does i mean they've they've gone through a lot they have been consensus the only person who is consensus now in skt among all these championship runs is faker
1: so I, yes i i do think at msi this weekend though um, they're playing against Flash Wolves first. I do think Flash Wolves can take one game off them if they're lucky, um, but honestly, I just think SKT is most likely going to sweep the will, last two teams. Will
2: Maple solo kill Faker, or is uh, that, that title reserved to Team WE?
1: Oh my god. I I am praying for my Taiwanese brethren. Um no, I think Maple and Carsa and Faker and Peanut will be a really good matchup to watch. Yeah, we talked weekend. about
2: we talked about that a little bit yep, last week. It, we did. I definitely think, uh, and just want to point out that I was right that this would be the semifinal match. But uh,
1: oh my god, uh, wow. I, was, I was actually
2: right about the top four and about the matches. Can we get a Thank sound effect much.
1: of boo right now? Boo! <laughs> boo! Nice.
2: <laughs> um, you know, but uh, yeah, I do think that is the good matchup.
1: Um, the other matchup we have is Team WE and G2 Esports. And I think W is probably going to win 3-2. But other than that, it's nice to watch China come back to prominence on the international stage once again. It's like a story repeating itself since EDG won last year. But I won't get my hopes up for that.
2: Uh, This is actually a pretty good matchup on that side of the bracket, I feel like. Like,
1: if G2 can fluke itself to victory, you know that... Do
2: you, think it, do you really think it will be a fluke to victory, though? Like, yes. I actually think this is the most competitive series in in the event. I mean, there's only two, but this well, is the more, yes. I mean, this it, is the more is competitive series. is obviously more competitive, This is but, the more competitive series. I don't think they're going to fluke... I don't think anyone's going to fluke themselves to hey, victory, listen, Rachel.
1: There's a great quote from The Office from this really wise man called Kevin. He said... The fluke is the most common fish in the sea. If you go fishing for one, you might just catch one. So, I feel like that pretty much says it all.
2: He just said it at like half the speed you said it, and you know, in a deeper tone. But
1: (laughs) I I was trying to emulate (laughs) Kevin from the office. All right. Anyway, yes, I well, I honestly do think Team We is going to win this one
2: i know it's world actually, elite i, I wish it, i know it's not team we it's actually we but i wish it was just team we or they would just go back to world elite it was much easier no to say. no
1: no no world elite was a terrible name i just they they moved past that you know they were dominant once upon a time they can't keep wearing that just, badge just come, after they turn terrible
2: just just be team we then it's like <laughs> Just say it like it is. Uh, anyway, I actually think G2 wins this series. Uh, really? I think 3-1 or 3-2. I think very, very, think, very, very, very competitive.
1: I think Team We is going to win 3-2. So, so, so
2: hear me out here. If this, and thank God, and I put this on Twitter, I have nothing against North America or Team oh, Solo I here we am go. very much a journalist of this region and have covered this region for four years of my life.
1: Thank you for making that clear.
2: But it is internally satisfying to see the G02 or the freaking G28 memes just disappear now that G2 qualified for playoffs and that TSM was arguably as bad as the Gigabyte Marines. So, with that in mind, I believe this is where G2 has their CLG moment, and they make it to the final, and then finally Europe gets some respect. From the general public. And Do that's clarify. it for the ESPN Do Esports clarify.
1: Podcast. <laughs> for more content, you can check out ESPN.com slash esports. Or you can follow us on Twitter at ESPN underscore esports at Rachel younggu at Jacob N. Wolf and at Shino Sports underscore. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.